iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. And welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I'm here with you. All your essential football fact and opinion for this week. It's a bit of a cozy show today. There's only three of us joining me. It's George Calkin, and it's Pedro Pinto, the man responsible for the UEFA Champions League draw. Perhaps the Europa League draw as well, Pedro. No, not that. Not that. Just the, just the Champions League. I only do the big ones. No, yeah, that's right. They get a lesser light for that. Later on, we'll be discussing the cult of management and how some people last five matches and others get eight-year deals. But let's start appropriately at Old Trafford, where a young Padawan faced an old master. 23 years is a very long time, and we, we read in so many newspapers that all those amusing things. Oh, you know, Jive Bunny was number one the last time Spurs won at United, blah, 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 blah. Um, before we get into the game, though, George, I, 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 I want to start with you because I, I actually added it up. I think it was Spurs' 29th attempt uh, at Old Trafford. What's even more creepy, Spurs hadn't beaten United in any competition since, I believe it was 2001, um, and that was at, at White Hart Lane. Um, now, I like to be a, a, a rational a rationalist, and I say past performance is no predictor of future events. It makes no sense to me why a team called Tottenham Hotspur and a team called Manchester United should be influenced by events decades ago when it's different people uh, and, and different managers, mm. well, at least on the Spurs side. Um, but surely there's got to be some kind of weird supernatural force, or is it within the accepted standard deviation, statistically speaking? I'm asking you because I know you're always very good in mathematics. Yes, but I, 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 I'm, I was a child prodigy at mathematics. No, I wasn't. I failed my O-level. But um, I'm, I'm a good person to speak about long-term jinx because, of course, normally I report on the northeast on northeast football. Um, we had no idea. Where, where, where clubs don't win trophies and haven't won trophies for decades. So I'm quite good. So, And I do think that sometimes you can feel the, the weight of history sort of pushing on you, pulling down on you, whatever. Now, whether that's the case with Spurs or not, I've got no idea. I mean, you know, Man United are a very good side and not many teams beat them at Old Trafford. So um, that, I suppose, is a is a fairly simplistic um, starting point. But, um, yeah, I do, think, I do think that those things can sometimes linger on into different teams and different generations that you sort of do feel do feel history or you do feel something like that pressing down on you. Pedro, Portugal uh, has not won a major trophy as a footballing nation since the beginning of time, which uh, according to uh, some people is, uh, what, about four or five million years. But of course, according to biblical revisionists, it's only 5,000 years. Uh, do you feel in Portugal the, the same weight of history and underachievement? There definitely comes a point when you 
need to learn how to win. And you can only do that through uh, either endless trying or get someone who has done it before to show you the way. We had Luis Felipe Scolari, who nearly took us there in, in 2004, and we choked in that final. I think I, I do believe in choking, and I think, uh, no disrespect to, to Tottenham fans, but a lot of times the kind of players they have are... Um, susceptible to um, to not delivering at, at, at big times during games and during championships. What we saw on uh, on Saturday was a Tottenham team that has a lot of skill, a lot of pace, and they rode their luck in the last 20 or 30 minutes. That that game could have very easily uh, have been won by, by Manchester United. Uh, they deserve all the credit for playing like they did in the first half, and they deserve uh, the credit also um, for working together and, and sticking to the plan by by Andre, who who showed a lot of determination, and I, and I think it, this might have been the moment that we have seen Andre Villas-Boas uh, grow up in English football and, and become the manager that and the coach that that, that we knew uh, in Portugal. I, I should point out, of course, that where and not for the fact that. There was a blind referee, and Roy Carroll successfully managed to palm the ball out of his own net in the 89th minute back in 2005. We probably wouldn't be having this conversation about 23-year jinxes, and that would have been within the acceptable standard deviation. Well, Andrea is a winner. Back to showing how to do it. Andrea is a winner. He won four titles in one season with Porto, and uh, maybe Spurs need need a manager like that, even though he's unproven in, in, in England. Someone who has won things before to show them the way. Why why can't they win a Europa League, a League Cup, or an FA Cup this year. But George, do you buy that? Is there such a thing as a winner, or is a winner just a guy who happens to have won rather than a mindset? It's a combination of of quality, ability, you know, timing, um, right club, right time, all that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, Brian Clough was a winner. He wasn't much of a winner when he went to Leeds United because he came up against a culture and a club at a time that wasn't suited to his personality. So uh, maybe that's what we saw with Villas Boas at, at, at Chelsea, and maybe at Tottenham, um, maybe at Tottenham, those sort of things are falling into place. Um, you know, a bit, a bit better. Um, you know, um, it's, it's something. It's an intangible. It's something that you can't, you can't really, you can't really know. But I mean, certainly from his perspective, it's. I, I saw them. I saw them at Carlisle the week before, and you can actually sort of see. Um, you know, that was that was a very different team. It was the League Cup, but you can sort of see things that are coming into his team pattern that maybe were, that wasn't quite so obvious at the start of the season. But they're you know they're becoming a, a kind of powerful. Physical, big, um, strong, athletic, fast team to go alongside. You know all the ability that we know that they had before well, then. Uh, and actually, I mean, that leads me to my next question, which is about the one guy we know is a winner because he's won so much, Alex Ferguson. I was nonplussed by the lineup he put out there because George, you describe Spurs as uh, as, as, as athletic, big. Uh, physical. Uh, I don't think there's any argument. You got Bale and Lennon on, on the wings, or there's a lot of pace there. Dembele runs with the ball, and yet you start the lineup. Well, you send a lineup out there which contains Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes, neither of whom is big, neither of whom is particularly athletic anymore when you consider their age. Um, Michael Carrick has probably never been particularly athletic, as good a footballer as he is. It looks to me like it was just the wrong lineup. 
Yeah, and I mean, it, it sort of leads to a point that um, I know has kind of been made quite often before is about Man United's lack of a sort of physical presence in in, mid, in midfield. Um, you know, obviously Roy Keane figures don't kind of grow on trees, but, you know... I, so look at, at Newcastle and they have a player like Czech Tiote and not that I wish you know him to leave the North East but you sort of think that he would fit in pretty comfortably well, into to a be team. honest George wouldn't Danny Guthrie fit in in some ways too in certain situations yeah I mean that, that, that sort of you know that sort of play I mean Tiote is better um, sure. but 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 that's you know that sort of player seems to have been lacking from Man United for, for quite a long time I'm, I'm surprised that that's not something that they've been that they've addressed you know somebody who's physical and athletic who you know, can win the ball, shield the ball, and then give it sort of simply. They don't seem to have that. They don't really seem to have that player at the moment. Um, well, they have one, but he's got. He's just coming back from eighteen months of Fletcher. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, yeah. But um, certainly against certainly against Tottenham, who you know who do have um, that mobility and the sort of power in midfield, they they were creaking all over the place. And you know, and the same applies to their de- to their defence. George, as well. you you can't see him right now, but but Pedro is shaking his head rolling his eyes he's doing this weird flexing thing with his neck I, I think it's a it, it's sort of Portuguese nonverbal communication for um, I want to say something and I am dissatisfied and I also know Pedro prepared for the program by making a list is that right that's right. I'll get to the list in, in just a second. Uh, the first Pedro, thing I will. Pedro, by the way, before, yeah. before I'm going to I'm going to come out. I'm going to attack before I'm attacked. If Pedro thinks that I'm talking crap, then oh I'm no, sure. not at all. I'm perfectly prepared to accept his. Point no, 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 <laughs> not at all, not at all. I, I the gloves of, come off. I kind of twitched when I heard that Carrick is a good player, and then I twitched again when I heard that, that, I that Fletcher. That. Yeah, I know, I know. Then, then I twitched again when I heard that Fletcher is missed. These two guys are at best good players at best seven out of ten players they're not Manchester United players I'm sorry I, I, I can't go on hearing this every year Carrick is a decent passer he can't do anything else Fletcher can set the tempo uh, when he's at his best but he can't do anything else United need tacklers United need creative players Ferguson went out and he got Kagawa okay that's only half of the job how did he not see last year that he needed players to protect the back four which is increasingly old and slow Vidic who's the most important defender was injured he's injured again Ferdinand can't keep doing it like he's 25 because he's not 25 anymore and then you've got other defenders who keep coming in and they're not good enough I don't have to tell you who they are I will tell you uh, 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 just a few players who moved this past summer for not a lot of money who would have made Manchester United instantly better starting with Lasana Diaja who went to Anji Makachkala Fernando Gago the Argentine international Walter Gargano who is not great but he would have made them better Freddy Guarín Michael Bradley Nigel de Jong Quadro Azamoa even Javi Garcia who's someone who moved for more than 10 million pounds but still less than they spent on Robin Van Persie a player they did not need so this is bad planning and it's going to come back to haunt them time and again they nearly lost to Galatasaray in the Champions League the Turks should have scored they should have had at least a draw and did Sir Alex Ferguson not learn anything from the 4-4 draw against Everton last year? I just, I don't get it how you don't protect your back four. I, I, I don't understand that. Okay, you weren't actually disagreeing with me. You were, no. You were, you were actually saying what I said just for Exactly, and, no. And, and I, more interestingly. Okay, well, I... <laughs> oh, oh. I'll disagree a bit, uh, uh, just in terms of the fact that the, the club committed significant funds to certain players. Um, I think it was about two years ago. Anderson, Carrick, and Fletcher were all signed up to long-term contracts. Now, you, you, we know what happened with, uh, with, with, with Fletcher and his problem. Anderson seems to be permanently injured. 
I guess maybe he was expecting that Jones could contribute something in midfield, but he's another sort of Bermuda Triangle mystery in terms of injuries. Not quite a mystery on the level of Bebe, but still. Um, Smalling seems to break down all the time, which you know ties in nicely at the back. It's easy to point fingers at, at, at Evans and Rio Ferdinand, but you know. But who can tackle in midfield? Who can ta- can Anderson tackle? No. Can Carrick tackle? Not really. Can Fletcher tackle? Yes. Not really. Yes. When he doesn't have IBS, yes. I mean, Fletcher's a. <sighs> he's not a defensive midfielder. You know, he's not. Well, what is he then? He's a central midfielder. He's he's a six or an eight old-fashioned uh, uh, numbers here, but he's not someone who sits in front of the back four and protects them. He's not. All right. And George, if he is, he's not good enough. George, with all this uh, uh, love of Spurs and criticism of United, uh, let's let the record reflect that once they unleashed Wayne Rooney in the second half, and uh, uh, presumably um, you know, did the hair dry and teacup sing at halftime, uh, I, I thought United absolutely battered Tottenham yeah. in the second half to hit the woodwork twice. And so we can praise United, although I, I, I actually think this whole sort of seat of the pants, furious attack, it reminds me a little bit of what Pedro's mate, Jose Mourinho, does at Real Madrid when things go wrong. We just put on 100 strikers and just, well, you know, we will batter you with our superior skillful players. But I want to focus on Spurs for a minute because in the last 20 minutes of that game, Spurs are kind of stuck in their penalty area. They can't clear the ball. When they clear the ball, it goes to somebody like Defoe who, instead of doing what I think most of us have been taught on the playground when when we played football at whatever crappy level we played at, instead of taking the ball into the corner, holding the ball up so that your back four can get a breather and your teammates can can come up with you, what Defoe does is... He runs at one point he runs straight into Johnny Evans. Another time he runs forward and decides to shoot from forty yards out. Um, I thought that was absolutely appalling from from the foe. But then he's I mean he's is he the kind of player that can hold the ball up? I mean he's physically he's not you know, he's he's not the biggest. He's, yeah, but, no, wait, he's, sorry, but he doesn't need to hold the ball up Niall Quinn style. I mean he's, no. he's a little guy. He can just run towards a corner and wait to be fouled, right? Well, he doesn't and, need to run into Johnny yeah, Evans. Yeah, and there's been you know, there've been a lot of question marks about the foe at Spurs for, you know, over a number of years I and mean, which, you know, dragged into this preseason. He's start start the season very well in terms of goal scoring and contributing and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, no, he's not that he is not that kind of player. I mean, I saw Stephen Fletcher on on Saturday, and he's exactly the kind of um, player that sort of Tottenham needed in in that in that last sort of five ten minutes. Someone who can shield the ball, who can hold it up, who can bring others into it, and then stick his backside out at the corner and sort of draw fouls and pre- prevent prevent others getting it. But they you know they don't they don't have that player. They, there is a you know they don't have sort of options up front really. But oh yeah, well it's, actually, it's, but, it's, but, it's, but it's, it's it is interesting how that sort of headless chicken mindset does come into play in the last five ten minutes. You know, in the last ten, five ten minutes of games, sort of talking about that winning mentality, how to win games, um, you know, and sort of how how not to lose games is something that's um, is something important as well. I sort of, you know, remember seeing Shearer for countless, countless years knowing, you know, knowing how to protect a point or knowing how to protect a victory in the last five, ten minutes, much to the fury of often as opposition fans and players and, and all that sort of stuff because he knew all the tricks but you do have to you do have to do that to to get those vital points 
I know that Andre Villas-Boas thinks the way I do. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's been up for the last 36 hours straight watching the video and saying, how can I get my guys to execute basic things yeah. that they should have known? Because we kind of got away with it here. We deserve to win the game, but the reality is they hit the woodwork twice. Oh, one last point on this, because let's face it, we should talk a little bit more about Sir Alex Ferguson because we haven't praised him enough. He came out with this quote about where he wasn't happy with the injury time, which we've seen before. But he doesn't like the fact that one person is responsible for the timekeeping. Anybody want to explain what he meant? Well, I mean, we we see. I mean, we see in sort of a lot of other sports, don't we? Sort of most most American sports, for example, that there was a there was a clock. The clock gets stopped, and it's it's sort of controlled centrally. Um, and you know, the umpire or referee has a has an involvement in that, but it's there for for everyone. It's there for everyone to see. I suppose he's saying that if there were six substitutions and the trainer came onto the pitch um, on a couple of occasions, that means there's a you know a a certain amount of time which should be factored into it automatically and not at the kind of referees not at the referees sort of um, uh, judgment um, but it's a bit of a I mean it's a bit of a distraction really that's not why they that's not why they lost the game is it? Mm, probably not but um, I think Sir Alex uh, Ferguson is right once again and by the way I might add he, uh, he and I share the view on this and uh, unlike Ollie Kay who I feuded over with this for many many years I think the obvious thing to do here uh, is uh, introduce what I like to call real time, where you play two 30-minute halves, the ball stops every time uh, it goes out of play, no more time wasting, no more disputes, the games would feel exactly uh, the way they feel now because um, the ball is in play for between 55 and 60 minutes uh, in in most games, and um, everybody would be happy, and I think one day... um, we will see that in football, and I will be very, very happy. We will see that, and we will see sex robots as well. I can't wait for both. <laughs> sex robots. Whoa. I think they already have those. I mean, well, they're more like blow-up dolls. Let's move on. Enough talking about David Sullivan and David Gold. Um, Arsenal and Chelsea. Now, Chelsea were top of the table going into this game. Um, they're managed by the guy who, though many don't like it, won the Champions League last year. And yet, I kind of felt there was this mood about how, you know, Arsenal were going to wipe the floor with them. And, you know, Chelsea are a fraudulent um, top of the table side. Uh, Pedro, is, is that, did, did you get that same sense? To go back to the whole winning mentality, um, I think Chelsea have it and, and Arsenal don't. And uh, I, I, if I'm an Arsenal fan, I'm still worried. I, I don't see that changing. Uh, I, I don't see the, the investment in, in the right kind of players. It's getting better by bringing in people like uh, Podolski and, and Casorla, who I th- think are both really good signings. But uh, I was at the game at the Emirates and uh, Arsenal just, <laughs> I, they, they just gave up in the second half because uh, when Ramsey, who was very average, came off and then uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was in centre midfield, they just had no idea what they were doing anymore. And I, I don't think there's a plan B. I think Wenger was unlucky once again with the injury to, to Diaby. 
who in the current Arsenal team has a very important part to play. Uh, Arteta didn't have a particularly good game. and uh, I, that, That's my opinion, yeah. I think especially in the last 20, 25 minutes, he, he, he shrunk and, and he, he wasn't part of the game. Uh, I, I think Ramirez uh, was, for me, the man of the match just by how much he, he Not ran. Not for you, for Sky Television as well. Okay, well, I wasn't watching the match on Sky Television, <laughs> so I was there and I didn't know that. But... Um, he was just covering covering everyone and everything and, and uh, even playing with guys like uh, Azar, Oscar and Mata. There are three guys, let's face it, they're not going to defend. Mikel did his job, whether you like him or not, he did his job and even it's a player like that that, that a Manchester United or, a, or an Arsenal would, would want hey. and uh, losing Song was big. Losing Song was really big for Arsenal, okay? Um, because they don't have that kind of player right now anymore. So to answer your question, very quickly, Chelsea have a winning mentality. They played like champions, and they won. One player Pedro did uh, did not mention, um, perhaps out of pity, was uh, a guy who got skewered today, um, Laurent Koscielny, who um, I don't know, he, he got a lot of stick. He got he, he got stick for, for for the defending on on Torres's goal. I thought in some ways it was a bit unfair, George. And I want to run something by you because, again. You presume that when Arsenal go out there, especially uh, now that they have Steve Bould in charge, who we're all told is this defensive genius, uh, although you wouldn't know from the set pieces in the last two games. But um, one thing you, you assume that teams do is they have marking assignments on set pieces, right? Because that's when, in a football match, things change. The big central defenders come up and, and everything changes. So it's pretty obvious Diaby, who is tall, was marking David Luiz, who is also tall. Diaby comes off. Oxlade Chamberlain comes on. All of a sudden, on that set piece, where it clearly Kasialmi screwed up, but it's Oxlade Chamberlain on David Luiz. Oxlade Chamberlain is what, 5'8? David yeah. Luiz is what, 6'2? Now, I, I, it seems so basic to me if you play football to any kind of level that, in fact, that's what you see is happening. And, and, I, and I spoke to, uh, um, to, to well, I didn't say his name. I spoke to Joe jo, jo, uh, jo Jordan yesterday who said, like, that's when, you know, when you see lay people, when, when you see the, the normally there's an assistant who stands with, like, a piece of paper or an iPad if he's sophisticated. Uh, before a player comes on, he explains to him, this is your marking assignment. Everybody's marking assignment changes. It didn't happen for Arsenal. Hey, George, can you tell me, like, did Oxley Chamberlain really think he was supposed to cover David Luiz? Is there no communication whatsoever? I know Fermanland was absolutely furious, and, mm. and, and he should be. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, obviously I don't know, but... Um, you, you were not, can you just confirm, you were not in Wenger's dressing room? I can confirm okay. that I do not know who was asked to pick up which player at set pieces. But it's safe to say it probably but, was an Oxlade-Chamberlain on David Luiz. No, and, you know, there was, there was clearly some sort of thinking going on, and it may have been, you know, not necessarily muddled thinking, but he dropped, Wenger dropped Mertesacker, didn't he, and played... Um, Kishelny instead the idea being that he was more mobile there was more chance of him picking up yeah I say, if I jump in on this I mean my understanding um, from the Arsenal end is they expected Chelsea to play on the counter-attack more mm. and they thought we don't want to leave Mertesacker out in open space yeah. with Fernando Torres or Hazard running at him you know fair enough but it's a marking on the set pieces the second straight week yeah, and um, you know, I saw Arsenal at the start of the season, and they did look—they looked—they looked far more 
um, sort of rigorous, rugged defensively and you know, are we looking? Are we looking for too much improvement too soon? But you'd have thought that that stuff is pretty um, basic. It has to be said. Um, so there's, you know, there's. Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. Voiceover on settings, so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from ten to eleven. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Look, there's work to be done there, but uh, equally, you know, equally Chelsea are, you know, are not the team that they were last season. They have got, they have got more adventure there. They've got more... Um, you know that they 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 have sort of looks look to have far more options, and I and you know I think it's more difficult to I think it's more difficult to deal with them. I mean I think um, you know you 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 said at the at the top about them winning the Champions League. I mean I would have argued they just they didn't lose it better than all the <laughs> other teams, but they've become they have become a team that you know not only can kind of grind out results but can also play with with flair, which is um, you know which is good to see, and it's very it's it's difficult to defend against with the players they've got. Pedro, do you have any excuses for the muddled marking assignments? If Jose Mourinho was the manager, uh, I would guarantee that after the match, he would have singled out every guy <laughs> right. who uh, who made a mistake. It, it, it happens in football. It shouldn't happen in professional football. It's it's amateur league, isn't it? You, you just you have to get your markings right in set pieces. There's no excuse for that. Yeah, I, I don't know if you're being ironic that we have Mourinho in set pieces, given the way some of Real Madrid's uh, set pieces have worked this season. Well, but that's why he's come out after every game and <laughs> said it was your fault. It was your exactly. fault. It was your fault. So. So that's, yeah, Wenger won't do that. Um, let's talk about one guy who I thought actually played very well and who's had a turbulent 72 hours um, and who I'd say, uh, what, 96% of England, excluding that percentage who might be Chelsea fans or his family members, I seem to hate. Uh, and that's John Terry. Um, I thought he played very well in a difficult circumstance given what happened. Um, anybody want to say something nice? About the former England captain, or are we just all going to pile on? I'll I'll agree with what you said. I think he played very well. From what I saw, he played very well in difficult circumstances. Notice it's George, who's the most Aryan out of all of us, who comes out and says something nice about JT. Proceed, George. Um, and I, um, I, you put me, you put me in a difficult. No, I would like to, I would like to agree with you. I don't want to say any more than that. I, he played very well in difficult circumstances. Annoyingly, he does that quite a lot. 
Now, this week uh, in our debate section, I wanted to uh, uh, debate whether um, Paolo Di Canio was uh, outstanding or merely brilliant. Um, but instead, uh, we're going to uh, take full advantage of our two uh, guests today, George and Pedro, to uh, talk a little bit of Northeast and talk a little bit of Jose Mourinho, since um, both uh, topics are very popular in, uh, in in the media these days. But excuse me, George, I'm going to start with you. It's always a treat because I, I kind of feel, you know, I, I don't get to your part of the world um, very often. It seems that it's it's almost like a quite a self-contained little universe with its own with, with, with its own media, with obviously uh, an incredibly passionate uh, fan base um, that it, you get the sense viewed from afar that over the years has uh, kind of learned to, to learn to live with the fact that the intensity with, in which the, the game is lived in the Northeast probably goes beyond the results of the clubs. And personally, I think that's a good thing because, you know, if, if you're a fan results shouldn't really matter with you being a fan. I mean, they might make you angry or happy, but that shouldn't change. But I, I want to talk about, well, well, I want to focus specifically on Newcastle now because it seems we've had this sort of transformation go on, right? So Mike Ashley comes in. Um, nobody likes him at first. You go through Dennis Wise, relegation. Chris Hewton was liked, but then Chris Hewton goes. And Pardew comes in. People thought, he's Alan Pardew. He's a bit cockney. He's a bit kind of, you know, creepy looking. Um, can't really trust him. But then I don't think anybody's going to argue with Pardew's results. And we have this bizarre situation where Newcastle sell well, buy well, mostly French players, um, or francophone players anyway, uh, get the best out of the incumbent players who were who there, and fly up the table. And a, a conventional wisdom from London has been to ascribe a lot of the, the credit for this to Alan Pardew, but because so many people don't like him that much, he has to share it with Graham Carr, who, for those who don't know, Graham Carr is a very old man who's used to work with David Pleat. He's been a scout. He's been in the game forever. And then all of a sudden, again, viewed from afar, he signed all these francophone players who've done extremely well. Is this the, is my dumbed-down version accurate? Do you have a reason why Graham Carr all of a sudden is some kind of guru? Or was he a guru all along? It's just that nobody listened to him before. Well, he's got you know an incredible wealth of knowledge of of, uh, of European football, and particularly particularly France. Um, he is now in a very very prominent position at a club that's prepared to you know that's prepared to kind of listen to him and, and back him. Although they didn't you know they didn't sign the players that they wanted this this summer. I mean, I think they've no. I think your prestige is 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 absolutely accurate. I mean, they, it's taken them sort of a long time to stumble upon stability, and stability you know is. Is the message that they were sort of ramming home last week when Pardew and his coaching staff, his entire coaching staff, signed eight-year contracts, um, and it's kind of, it's it's a bit, uh, it it takes some getting used to to hear Newcastle sort of, you know, sort of uh, teaching lessons about stability, but they've 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 come across a, a system which works for the people that they've got at the club. Um, the people at the top of the club are not easy to work with. They're business people. They're off the wall, to use their own language, and they've got a certain way of doing things, which isn't always the football way of doing things. And at the start, the the personnel were all wrong, and it was it was disastrous. Um, and since since relegation, and more accurately since sort of October, 
um, late October of the following year when Ashley took, finally took the club off the market and gave gave Chris Hutton the permanent manager's job. They've had people in place that can that they can understand, that they can work with, and um, that have been allowed to do their job um, to do their job properly. And um, um, you know they 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 will they will still take decisions that which uh, we might feel or football people might feel increases the instability you can look at Andy Carroll you can look at Chris Hewton sacking you can look at other things but they would argue that they were decisions taken for the long term benefit of the club and certainly in those those couple you have to say that they've they've got a got a point okay now from where i sit and in terms of conventional wisdom an 8 year contract seems to me like one of two things either it's one of the absolute stupidest things a football club could do um, for the simple reason that you're tying yourself to somebody who you're going to have to pay big compensation to, and if he wants to leave, he'll still walk out, and yeah, you'll get a little bit more compensation, but it also means the guy's in a comfort zone and all this jazz. Um, and there's issues of motivation, and ultimately, if a manager is happy and the club are happy with him, he's going to stay. Um, or it's a big PR stunt, because while there may be a big number eight on Pardew's contract, it's filled with clauses whereby if... England come calling, or Manchester United come calling, or um, or, or, or there's a there's a fixed amount of compensation, or Newcastle get relegated, or Pardew goes goes insane, um, they can get out of it. Now, I, I'm sure. I'm, I, am I right? I, do they have all those clauses built in? Well, I, I know for a fact that because they, well because they told me that the the coaching staff contracts if they if if the coaching staff get dismissed then those contracts get paid up in full now those contracts will obviously be significantly less than than Alan Pardew's contract so Andy Woodman and those guys yeah yeah and Steve Stone and John Carver so I mean I think that's kind of a, a good common sense gesture in yeah. some ways I, I, I can only imagine that there will be that there will be different clauses with uh, with Pardew's contract because it will be sort of, a, of a different of a different nature I think yeah part of it is um, PR in the sense that they want to send out a message which is that you know in the past um, and this is often because of the people that, that run the club <laughs> uh, more than sort of supporters or anything like that um, you know it can get very twitchy very quickly at Newcastle and um, you know I think what they're saying is they, they drew parallels with David Moyes um, not in the sense of sort of what they're trying to do to the club but in the sense that he's been allowed to have um, the odd difficult season at Everton and has gone on with it and um, you know the club have reaped the benefit in terms of sort of stability and being able to kind of build again and that's what they want there have been there have been six managers under Mike Ashley and in in five years which is unsustainable um, Graham Carr has also got an eight year contract they tie players to uh, typically to five-year contracts, and a lot of it is about self-protection, so that when um, you know, so that if if uh, if teams come in for their for their staff, that you know they can get the highest fee possible. A bit of that still applies here, but I think they are they are genuinely trying to sort of build a build an environment which you know which has this stability running through it, and it does give Pardew an opportunity to to kind of look at all levels all levels and all departments of the club as well which is which is something that most managers at Newcastle just haven't had the time or or scope to do 
Pedro, uh, it, it's interesting what, what George is saying there um, in terms of the longer contract because obviously there's also a, a flip side to it. Um, Newcastle are a club that for a number of reasons um, – since Ashley took over, have lost a large amount of money. The losses would be even worse if it wasn't that the fact that they've sold a lot of assets and made money in player trading. Although I think this past year might be the, the first year that they've actually broken even or, or come close to, 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 to break even. It's not it's neither here nor there why that is. Obviously, relegation was, was, was a big hit, and, uh, um, and you know, Newcastle isn't exactly Monte Carlo in terms of wealth, but uh, as a town, I mean. But that said, the flip side of long contracts is that you're stuck with players who might not be as good as you thought they were. Um, and it's interesting because part you referenced Wenger and Sir Alex Ferguson as, as examples of stability after he was given the eight-year deal. As far as I know, neither Wenger nor Ferguson has ever worked under a contract that was longer than three years. In fact, Wenger, um, I think for a long time, he had annual contracts. Um, what's your take on this long mega contract thing? Is it just about the money and the compensation? I don't think it makes sense in today's world to offer a manager a contract that's that long. Uh, whether he's doing as well as, as Alan Pardew or, or not, it just doesn't make sense from from any perspective. That, that's not the kind of world we, we live in. And I think what's what's happened at Newcastle, I'll draw a parallel with what happened at, at Sevilla a few years ago when they obviously had a really good scouting team that went out and bought a number of, of really good players who didn't have a high profile before they moved to a Spanish league, before they moved to an English league now with, with Newcastle. And uh, I, I just think that the people upstairs deserve a lot of credit there. Uh, Alan Pardew hasn't put a foot wrong, but uh, I'd, I'd like to know what kind of job he'd do without the kind of talent he has. He's got a really talented team. I mean, these are guys who, who I mean, Ba, ba and Cisse, they were scoring goals in Germany for fun. I mean, let, let's not forget that. And it's just the fact that here in, in England, not too many people know about it. I mean, Hatem Ben Arfa, although he's a problematic guy in, in, in France, he was really, really highly rated. Colocini has always been a, a great player. Um, I think just the institution itself deserves a lot of credit. Um, and, and I think they, they've become a little, a little overexcited about the success after so many years of instability. And that's why I think they've gone out and say, hey, we found what we want now. We found our you know, fountain of youth. So we're going to stick with this plan for as long as we can. I understand it from a from an emotional point of view because you've had so much instability. I don't understand it from a realistic point of view because they're what 0.5 percent of managers stay at clubs for longer than five years. I think I think there's a you know with all the contracts that they have at the club, there's this is a way of saying that um, okay, if we have a bad season or if we have a bad patch, we are going to stick. We are going to stick with our manager. He's got the chance to build something. Realistically, you know, Kevin Keegan once signed a 10-year contract at Newcastle. Um, Sam Allardyce signed an eight-year contract at, at Bolton. It was a rolling eight-year contract in his in his case, actually. Yeah, I mean, and so 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 do, do these things? Do they have any meaning? If Newcastle were to win, you know, were to lose the next three or four games in a row, nobody is going to be suggesting that Alan Pardew is under pressure now. It may be, as 
simple as that, really. Um, but I think that's quite a, you know, I think that's quite a valuable thing at somewhere like Newcastle that it, do, you know, it doesn't take much for it to be, it to be, for it to feel quite febrile. Pedro, from the Cockney Alan Pardew to what some might consider the Portuguese Alan Pardew, uh, you sat down with uh, uh, Jose Mourinho recently, and um, I, I think we should take this opportunity to plug your interview, which is on uh, on, on CNN World Sport. Yes, uh, that's correct. I, I spent uh, two hours with El Especial. Uh, last week in Madrid. Did you call him the Portuguese Alan Pardew? No, no. Uh, there's okay. there's a small difference there. I think of about 20 titles. Part, part of the interview will be released later on Monday, the news version of the interview. Then we're doing a special half-hour program called Mourinho Masterclass on CNN. Um, you can follow me at, at Pedro CNN to... Uh, to, to, to get all the all the details on that, but it's it's worth it. He talks he talks not only about uh, his his tough uh, relationship in, in Spain and and managing the biggest club uh, in the world as he calls it. Um, also lifts the lid on his relationship with uh, Roman Abramovich. Uh, discusses whether he'd take the Manchester City job um, and talks about Cristiano Ronaldo and his and his uh, recent tantrum. No, you can't give anything away, but can you just tell us? what surprised you most about what he said? Anything what? you didn't expect? Because, I mean, it's the stuff you said. It's, you know, I expect, expect he said that Roman Abramovich in here, best pals, and I expect that he, you know, he, he, he said that it's a challenge and it's great at Real Madrid and Cristiano Ronaldo, and I expect he said Cristiano Ronaldo is the best man in the world and should win the Ballon d'Or every day. But did he say anything that really surprised you? Actually, when I asked him who's the best player he ever managed, he didn't say Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, So you'll have to tune in to find out who he said. And also, I asked him if he thinks he's the best manager in the world. He answered that. Surprised me as well. And uh, Surprising in this case, I would assume, means no. Yeah, he's... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and it was also surprising to, to hear about his, his commitment to Real Madrid, because if you believe a lot of things that have been uh, published here uh, recently, he's, he can't wait to come back to England. And, and I, I was surprised by his by his answers about about his return to the Premier League. So yeah, so let's look out for uh, Pedro's C- uh, interview with um, with uh, with Jose Mourinho. And he said the easiest way to stay on top of it is uh, because of course CNN they have this annoying way of always changing their schedules when like silly things happen, like natural disaster or wars or the presidential debates. So the best way is just follow Pedro at Pedro CNN. Time now for some quick hits. Liverpool win their first game of the season, and they do it in style with a 5-2 away hammering of Norwich. Uh, Luis Suarez gets a hat trick, just like he did last year, and the kids, Suso and Raheem Sterling, shine. Pedro, is this another false dawn on Merseyside, or is it the start of something big for Brendan Rodgers? A little bit of both. Um, Cop out. No, Norwich are really poor, so it, it's it's difficult to see just exactly how good Liverpool were. Um, I, I do think that that Suarez uh, c- can come up with games like this. Unfortunately for for Liverpool fans, that they haven't come uh, enough times. Uh, Suso looks really good. Uh, Raheem Sterling is promising. Uh, I still think he looks like a, a, a poor man's Aaron Lennon so far, but I think he could be better than Aaron Lennon. Um, you know what? I you you. you really lucky that the Tonys, Barrett and Evans are out of earshot right now. They didn't hear that. I, I do think that, that Liverpool are obviously a lot better than their current league position. So that's why I say a little bit of both. Are they worse than last year? Are they better than last year? I think they are, yes. Mm, we'll see about that. 
Now, there are three undefeated teams in the Premier League. Two of them are Manchester City and Chelsea, who have wealthy foreign owners. George, do you care to name the third? Uh, I'll give you a hint. They also have a wealthy foreign owner, albeit one who doesn't like to throw his money around just that, quite that much. And um, also tell me how much of it, and this may be a giveaway, is down to one Stephen Fletcher. Well, yes, as you uh, correctly intimate, it is Sunderland. Uh, it's not been a very fluent start for them, but they've ground out results. And uh, in fact, their victory over Wigan was their first victory of the season. But um, very promising. Stephen Fletcher, he scored, uh, he scored five goals already in his four games. It's slightly concerning, or it might be the fact that those goals are the only goals that Sunderland have scored in the Premier League so far. He's looked pretty good value. Of course, our colleague Rory K. Smith, who can't be with us today, because he's doing something extremely important, like uh, maybe, um, I don't know, at home uh, painting a portrait of the Mar del Plata in Montevideo, uh, says that Stephen Fletcher is uh, the greatest British finisher. So there, uh, among active players, George, I didn't mean to offend you and, and Alan Shearer, of course. Thank you. Everton win again, and uh, now they're second after a 3-1 victory over Southampton. And clearly we don't talk about them enough, but uh, I guess it's, it's because we expect them all to fall apart. But it hasn't happened yet. And Jelovic scores again, his 12th goal in 15 games. Pedro, can he keep them up there? Did you want to tell us how good Davy Moyes is, please? He's great, uh, and, and I think still he's underrated, and I think I'd love to see him at, 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 a, at a top three or top four club. It's a silent J, so it's not Jelovic, it's Jelovic. I expect him to stay there at least in the top four or five until maybe mid-December when they have to play, I think it's Arsenal and Manchester City back-to-back. Would he win the league at Benfica? Yes. There you go. Yes, yes he would. So I am loving this passive-aggressive war between Darren Bent and Paul Lambert, or Lambert, as we call him when he gets a good result. Uh, Bent is stripped of the captain's armband, then he gets dropped for the big derby against West Brom, then he comes on, he scores the equalizer. Um, George, who should feel vindicated in these situations, Bent for scoring or Lambert for getting the substitution right? It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because there was a similar thing with Denver Bar at Everton a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Newcastle were awful in the first half. Ben to, uh, Bar had been dropped. He comes on with the second half, scores twice. But it did it did provoke a little bit of instability, instability around the club as well. Um, I don't think Aston Villa have the... Uh, strength and depth up front to, to be dropping uh, Darren Bent and they were pretty hopeless up front without him I thought um, but then he comes on and scores a goal and it looks like the manager's a genius I suppose when you don't have much um, many options what you have to do is find a way of motivating the players you do have and I think you certainly saw in Darren's reaction that it meant a lot to him to score Let me jump in here and, and ask a, a question to, to Gabriele give you a chance to give you your opinion which is something that you rarely do um, It's true we, We've Heard, we've heard a lot about Roma this year and how great they were going to be with Zdenek Zeman going back. Uh, they've been a little bit like a roller coaster so far. How, how do they do against Juve? Well, simply put, they were absolutely awful against Juventus. Uh, Juventus scored three times in the first 20 minutes, tore them to shred, 45th game unbeaten in the league for Juventus. Amazing. Uh, at their own, at their new stadium, Juventus Stadium, they have never lost, whether in the league or, or, or in the cup. Um, it's 
you know, Zeman plays this all-out attacking football, and when it doesn't work, uh, your defenders especially look really, really bad. I, I think it's more a question of execution rather than system and the fact that in certain positions he just doesn't have particularly good players or his young players haven't developed yet. Um, but yeah, it's caused a bit of a, a bit of a rethink, and maybe some of us were getting a little bit too excited by Mr. Double Z. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun. It's been really, really fun. And it's been even better when there's only three of us. Come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts, or you can email gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. You can also go to thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, your analysis. You'll find our blogs. George, when is your blog? Tomorrow. Tomorrow, that's right. Tuesdays. By the way, the best blog day of the week is Tuesdays, because one week you get Calkin, the other week, well, you get me. So lots to keep you interested and involved at thetimes.co.uk. You can reach out to all of us. We're all on Twitter, at Calkin the Times, at Pedro CNN, at Marcotti, M-A-R-C-O-T-T-I. Till next time, bye-bye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees. Supercharging productivity for your developers. Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.